How can you build a successful business in one town with 700 competitors knowing that it might be a few years before you even break even? Ryan Waller faced that when he started his real estate business. In Guelph, 83% of agents sold three houses or less in a year. And that doesn't include anybody who, who sold zero because they don't have that data. So we could be closer to 85% of agents sold three houses or less. And real estate is also a very expense heavy career to get into. So you have to be aware that you're not going to be selling hundreds of houses and you may only sell three and it's very expense heavy. So you may be running in the first few years at a loss. Imagine this for a moment. You decide to embark on a new career where you have 700 direct competitors in your market, all vying for an audience of about 35,000 households. That's an average of 50 potential clients per competitor with a service that is usually only needed every five to 10 years or more. Add on top, the real estate market is taking off and all of a sudden you have every realtor in town competing for an average of one sale each per quarter and an inventory that is rapidly dropping to less than one a month. Not only that, but it felt like anyone could sell a house in this market. So why would you need a realtor anyway? I learned that many years ago when I was at Kimberly Clark in marketing, we talked about a unique selling proposition or a USP and what makes your brand different than someone else's brand. Talked about that at our sales meeting. But Kimberly Clark, it was what makes Huggies diapers better than Pampers? What are the benefits of this product that are better than the competitors? And you always talked about that. And it's something that, you know, I realized, like you said, it's pretty vanilla. And many realtors just get into the business and they just do what they think they see around. And that's just what they learn from. And, and I was lucky that I had training that was in a different sort of world where I thought, from my perspective, I had to be unique. You had to be unique in order to survive with such a saturated market. So Ryan started to apply his big company knowledge and experience using data and interpreting trends to differentiate himself in the market. His reports focused on micro neighborhood insights versus the usual general boring house stats. That led to a regular local newspaper column for the last four years sharing neighborhood market data. And it's the same thing I'm finding in real estate is the niche that we carved out in real estate has been based on providing facts, data, stories, and turning really boring real estate information into something a little more exciting or relatable to people. Everywhere you look in real estate right now, someone seems to be doing what you're doing. How is it possible to gain personal brand visibility and credibility in a town with 700 competitors providing a service that is only usually needed every five to 10 years or longer and turn it into a multi-million dollar business in less than five years? We'll have the answer with my guest, Ryan Waller, after the break. This is REI Branded, the podcast all about building your real estate investing personal brand. My name is Paul Copcut, and my mission is to help you, the busy real estate investor, stand out from the crowd so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. That means you can build a successful real estate investing business without feeling inauthentic, overwhelmed with marketing, or spending all day doing it. Because marketing is how you get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Today, you're going to learn how Ryan Waller was motivated and intrigued enough that he took a successful 20-plus year career in corporate sales and marketing and the experience with several real estate investing student rentals in his hometown of Guelph and embarked on a new career as a realtor in this highly competitive city. If you want to know how to take what Ryan learned and apply it to build your own successful real estate investing personal brand, 
then stick around for this episode of REI Branded. Before we begin, if you're a real estate investor looking to build your business and stand out from the crowd, and you don't want to wait for all the knowledge, strategies, and how-tos to be slowly delivered to you via this podcast every week, then I invite you to apply for the REI Branded Audit. That's the process I've created that has already helped dozens of real estate investors to define and develop their personal brands and build their real estate investing businesses. This audit is a mind-focusing, eye-opening insight addressing key questions like, is your message clear and consistent? Do you stand out as being different? Are you on people's radars and inspiring them enough to reach out and want to know more? The application only takes a few minutes and the link is in the show notes. After you apply, if it seems like I can help you, we will set up an initial conversation to explain the audit in more detail and answer any questions you have. So if you're a real estate investor who is committed to building your personal brand and business this year, then I invite you to apply for the REI Branded Audit. Worst case scenarios, we get together, chat for 20 to 30 minutes, and you get some free advice. The link to apply is in the show notes. Now, back to the show. A few weeks ago, I heard about a realtor in an Ontario town that had transacted over $40 million in under five years. And I knew how competitive the real estate sales space is in most towns and cities across Canada. When I found out they had done this coming from a completely different industry and were doing things differently, I was even more intrigued. I know that what I found out could be useful to other realtors, but equally important for you, the busy real estate investor, who is also looking to stand out from the competition and attract more opportunities and partners. So just how competitive was their market? And what were they doing that got them into the top 0.5% in their local market? I had to find out. How many realtors are there in Guelph? Or in, in Guelph, Guelph? There, are about, there are about 700. 700. How do you differentiate yourself when you're all offering basically the same service? You all have access to the same information. It's right. exactly right. I learned that many years ago when I was at Kimberly Clark in marketing, we talked about a unique selling proposition or a USP and what makes your brand different than someone else's brand. And we always talked about that at our sales meeting, but Kimberly Clark, it was what makes Huggies diapers better than Pampers? What are the benefits of this product that are better than the competitors? And you always talked about that. And it's something that, you know, I realized, like you said, it's pretty vanilla and many realtors just get into the business and they just do what they think they see around. And that's just what they learn from. And, and I was lucky that I had training that was in a different sort of world where I thought from my perspective, you, I had to be unique. You had to be unique in order to survive with such a saturated market. Right. What do you feel in terms of somebody listening, they're sitting in their nine to five, they've, they've got an itch for real estate or they've done like you, they've, they've started to get involved in real estate investing. What advice do you have for them to go from that side hustle to the full-time, whether it's an investor or whether they get into a real estate agency? Sure. Well, I can address both. If they get into a real estate agency, I think they need to know and be realistic and accept the fact that it's a very saturated market. And especially when you're in a market where everybody reads the headlines of how real estate is on fire and prices are going up and it seems to be the safest thing during COVID. There are a lot of people that have either lost their jobs or have decided that they don't want to do their nine to five anymore and think that real estate is the road to riches and drop it all and get into it. I curl on Wednesday nights and I was talking to somebody there that just this past Wednesday who has been running a renovation company for years, but it's been a little bit slower than he would have liked in the past year. And so he's now going to get his real estate license. And so he was 
asking me about it. And the data that I gave to him, which, which I had just coincidentally looked at earlier on was in Guelph, 83% of agents sold three houses or less in a year. And that doesn't include anybody who sold zero because I don't have that data. So we could be closer to 85% of agents sold three houses or less. And real estate is also a very expense heavy career to get into. So you have to be aware that you're not going to be selling hundreds of houses and you may only sell three and it's very expense heavy. So you may be running in the first few years at a loss, especially if you want to do some marketing to get your name out there. So be very careful and be very realistic. And I think that if you're going to get into real estate as a career, you have to have some unique, compelling reason that people would work with you over someone else. That's um, a great point. Yeah. It's interesting as well in Hamilton, I think there maybe is up to 24 or 2,600 realtors now in Hamilton, Burlington. And I was talking with very local focused, three offices, okay. been in the city for eons, you know, decades. And she said, it, it's interesting. It's just like corporate. It used to be the 80-20 principle, like 80% of the houses were sold by the top 20% of the realtors. And I was talking with her just pre-COVID and she said, it's now 95-5 Hamilton. And it's interesting you say that because I remember when I was working, I think it was at Nestle and they talked about in times of no, maybe it was my broker years ago. I can't remember. We're talking about in a times of major change. So major market shifts, extreme buyer's market or extreme seller's market. The people will flock to who they know and they will flock to the names they hear most often. And so the larger get larger during those times of big seller's market, big buyer's market. We noticed that in particular uh, in Guelph last year, some of the largest volume agents just got bigger and bigger and bigger just because of that. I think that principle, but yeah, you're right. Because they're getting into groups as well or teams, they're kind of expanding. And yeah, 95%, I wouldn't even, it doesn't even surprise me. And it goes to that point you made about emotional connection as well. Yeah. If I'm going to make an emotional investment, I'll feel safer going with somebody that's bigger, stable, right. someone that's bigger or someone that's right. Someone that's bigger, someone that I feel a little more, I feel has a little more trust in the market or someone that maybe someone referred to me and I'm not going to go looking for another realtor, but the big definitely got bigger at last mm. year in this market. Interesting. I was going to say as well, from a real estate investing perspective, it's somewhat similar in that when real estate is really hot, you find everybody and their friend getting into real estate investing because they think it's easy just to flip a house. I'll buy it tomorrow. And by the time it closes, I'll have made $100,000 and I'll just sell it again. And the general public is wise to that as well. I mean, they see houses come on the market and go off the market. And sometimes you get a situation where someone sees that you just bought it and really didn't do much to it. And now I'm trying to sell it and don't want to give you the benefit of that. But you have to be very careful because people are more savvy than ever. There are apps out there that allow you to see sale prices of houses. People know comparables. They know how things work and trades are also very competitive. So if you're getting into investing and trying to flip, you have to be careful that you can get trades available that you need and you can hold that mortgage and get it all done. And also the other thing about investing is uh, making sure that from a cash flow perspective, you can actually make it work because there are a lot of times now with housing prices rising so quickly that rents aren't following suit. So housing prices are way up here and rents are sort of trailing behind. And there are many situations now, I don't even know if I can find one, a positive cash flow property in Guelph. And so what investors have started to do is to buy property, basically, instead of cash flow on month-to-month expenses, it's cash flow on equity. So they're buying it and just anticipating that in a year it'll be worth more. So they lose $1,000 a month, but over a year, they gain $20,000 wow. in equity. And which is a dangerous position to be in. I mean, right. it's great as long as the market's increasing, but if you hit one rocky road where you pay for something and are losing $1,000 a month, and then after one year, the market's declined 5%, you're really in, in a lower equity position. It's an interesting 
decision that you went with the domain, your first names, that's very personal brand. Was that conscious? It's funny you say that, Paul, because that was really a decision that we made to try to grow our brand from a personal perspective. In some cases, it happens actually fairly regularly where we're talking to someone and we tell them, Beth would say, she went into somewhere not too long ago and she just told them her name. And the person was like, oh, Beth and Ryan. We're not just some realtors in the market. We're trying to be a personal brand and we're trying to be someone that you can call up and address by their first name. That's who we are. And uh, we're a couple that sells houses and we try to make videos that correspond to that are relatable and down to earth. And, and that's sort of the brand. What flipped you into real estate? Well, in 2008, my wife and I had a a little condo in Toronto that we had just bought. We had bought it in pre-construction in 2005 and uh, moved into it in 2007. And in 2008, we decided we were going to leave Toronto. Uh, We were starting to have kids and we had a tiny condo. And so we sold it. We sold it. I think we bought it for, it seems crazy now, but I think we bought it for like 180,000 in Toronto downtown. We sold it for 335 and thought this is incredible. So we took that money and bought a detached house in Guelph. And from there, I really sort of thought, okay, this is interesting that you can do this. You can make money in real estate and and through some smart investments. And so we bought a student rental here in Guelph. And as you know, many Ontario towns, Kingston, Hamilton, student rental properties are in demand in, in university towns. And so we bought one and it cash flowed. It was a profitable uh, investment. And we realized, wow, this is, we're making a couple hundred bucks a month. Uh, my wife was staying home with our kids at the time. It was, it was helpful. Very low maintenance condo that we had. Got on the condo board for them. And another owner came to me and said, I'd like to sell my unit. Would you buy it from me? Sure. So I bought the second one from that person. And then we realized we have two now and they're both working out well. And so we talked to the bank and ended up with, in the end, four of them. Uh, from there... I really sort of realized that I enjoyed this aspect of it, the business aspect of real estate, but I also thought like we were doing okay with it. Like it was working out. So that's sort of where it started. Why did you choose to go down the agent route versus maybe continue with real estate investing? By the time we, it was 2013 or so, we had a number of student rentals. And what happened was that I was in my Nestle career doing well in the job. I just got to the point where I didn't and as a salesperson, you could probably appreciate, I just didn't enjoy the product I was selling. I decided that if I'm really going to excel at this job and take a look at what I'm going to be doing in my future, it probably isn't with this company. And so I got my real estate license on the side, which I sort of had to keep secret from my full-time career right. and got my license with the goal longer term of transitioning into real estate full-time. Did a few transactions, had some family and friends that worked with me to buy houses and it seemed to be going pretty smooth. It also allowed me during that time to figure out what it was in the real estate industry that I could do, uh, kind of carve out as a niche. Eventually, at the end of 2017, I decided it was time and left my corporate job, which ironically, my whole level at Nestle at that time was let go shortly after and, uh, and went full-time in real estate. Did you find it difficult initially to switch from selling a product to selling a service? Yes. The overarching sales strategy sort of remained the same. It's just how you approached it. And so selling a product is very much the the benefits of a product and uh, the cost. It's pretty tangible. You bring in your container of something and say, it's going to cost you this, and this is what our competitor is doing, or this is what your competitor is doing, and this is what your margin is going to be, and all of these sorts of things. In real estate, you're still selling, but you also have to be very aware of the client. I mean, now you're dealing with emotions. Now you're dealing with somebody's 
biggest investment you're dealing with their situation. It could be maybe they're buying a house because of a divorce. Maybe they're buying a house because they've just landed on a bunch of money. It all depends on the situation and every client was different. So it was a big switch from selling a product to now selling a house because of of the emotional aspect of it. And what were the elements that you brought from your corporate career that you found was really helpful setting up and establishing your own business and and building that? It's interesting because that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the consumer packaged good industries, because especially the companies I work for, very large companies that had very big budgets for training. And in particular, two of the things we they really focused on that were beneficial in real estate were data. So early on, getting into data and insights and understanding trends and getting sort of getting ahead of your competitors or being able to sell based on facts and data, which I seem to have a natural talent for. I don't know. There are, there are a few things that I have talents for, but that seemed to be one of them. And uh, I could figure out, I could take raw data and turn it into a story, a selling story that you know our Loblaws or whoever the client was would appreciate and use it to get our products in there. And it's the same thing I'm finding in real estate is the niche that we carved out in real estate has been based on providing facts, data, stories, and turning really boring real estate information into something a little more exciting or relatable to people. And then the other big one for me, I think, was negotiation. In particular at Nestle, we learned a lot about negotiation, a lot of training courses. They put big emphasis on it. And it does give an edge in this industry to have negotiation power, not only with for your clients, but also with other agents as well. Just being able to feel comfortable negotiating and not having your feelings hurt or not being afraid to approach somebody is a huge benefit, I believe. And when you say about making data interesting and telling a story, what sort of things are you doing for your services? How are you presenting that? In real estate, what we found when I first got my license, but it was trying to transition in from the corporate world, I tried to figure out, is anybody using any sort of data or insights to make decisions on things or or what's being done with it. Really what I found was the same old thing is every month I'd see somebody post something that says last month, there were a hundred transactions in the market. Average price was this, it's up 25% over January of last year. So what I found is that when those came out, they didn't really mean anything to anybody. You know, they just were just numbers that people looked at briefly and moved upon to the next thing. And so as a result, we thought, well, what if we just took these numbers and made them a little more relatable. What if we took them and broke them out by neighborhood? Because we had access to this information and give people an an insight into their own neighborhood because that's what they care about. What's going on in their own neighborhood? Uh, How many houses are selling in their neighborhood? What is the most common sale in their neighborhood? What are the hottest neighborhoods? Where's the best deal in town? And so those sorts of things we were able to break out. The data was is always available to everyone. Any realtor in our system has it in, in Ontario actually. And It's just a matter of taking it apart and putting it back together in a story that people can relate to. So we found that was a pretty interesting uh, aspect and niche to our business is that we were able to do that. And people really responded. What we did was we partnered with our local uh, newspaper and have been writing articles for them for four years based on this information. And the market really, really responded to it. It's been a a steady stream of business as well, because the, the information is just market data. It's not our opinions. So people, you know, look at it and say, well, they're not, this isn't skewed towards real estate. They're not selling anything. They're just giving me information. And so it's been a steady stream of business and it's formed this market authority, which was always sort of our goal was to come across as a market authority by giving basic information. That's a great point. I think people listening is that that's exactly what you want to be doing with a personal brand is yeah. oh. differentiating yourself. And how have you taken that to the next stage of actually putting houses on the market and selling houses? What have you used again from your 
Yeah. So we do a a number of different things. So putting houses on the market, what we do is take a look at, first of all, where the buyers are coming from. And like Hamilton or like many Southern Ontario markets, the majority of buyers these days into these smaller markets are from the GTA. What we do is take a look at where is the buyer likely to come from? And when we're putting a plan together for a client, we talk to them about the marketing we're going to do for the house. So yes, houses will sell themselves. And people always say that, why do we need a realtor? The houses will sell themselves these days, but Sure they will. But the idea is that as a seller, you're trying to get the best result for you. And so we take a look at who the potential buyer is, where we could find them, and then try to market to them. And so if in Guelph right now, especially on the east side of Guelph, the data we have shows that it's clearly coming from Brampton and uh, Mississauga. So we target those areas through uh, targeted social media campaigns. We're members of the Toronto Real Estate Board. And those are people we're after from that market. From the local market, we find that someone's going to be buying a house in a specific area of Guelph. They're probably living in that area already. Maybe they have kids and they don't want to change schools. So we target that local area. We send out things through Canada Post. We pump out things on the radio. We do all sorts of things around town that are very unique. And our clients like that because they are unique. And we're the only people that will put you on local radio or 100,000 people uh, a week will hear it. We're the only ones that will do a lot of the Canada Post stuff. We do a lot of unique things for clients to get them the end result that that they want. Right. I know that both you and your wife, who's on your team, or you're a team together, you both grew up in Guelph. Have you found that has been an advantage? Definitely. Uh, We have had situations where old friends from 20 years ago call us up and say, hey, I'm selling my house and I bought with the realtor that's retired 10 years ago. Will you help me? We've had that. But it's also, I think, being in the market and having not your direct group of friends, um, know you, but almost like indirectly. And as an example, Beth had a high school teacher and Beth left high school 25 years ago. And she had a high school teacher that two years ago heard us on the radio while he was out uh, shopping at Canadian Tire or wherever he was somewhere. And uh, it triggered him to think about his son who was going to be buying a house. And and he called Beth and said, Hey, Beth, um, remember me? I'm Mr. Givenaught. You haven't heard from me in 20 years. I was your teacher in high school. I heard your ad on the radio and uh, I remembered you. And I thought maybe you could help my son find a house. It's from immediate network of people who just remember you growing up in Guelph and are your friends, but it's also from people that you've established relationships in some way over time, and it sort of rekindles those relationships to uh, into business. Right. Have you used that for those coming into the city as well? Have you used that as a leverage? Part of your brand is we're from here, we know here. Oh, yeah. Part of it is we are from here, we know the market well. We just experienced it this week where you have an out-of-town realtor um, selling a house in you know our market. And it's hard to do because they don't know the market as well. They don't know the comparables as well. It's the same as me trying to sell a house in downtown Toronto. It's been 12 years since I've been living there. And so I don't know it as well, as well as somebody else there would. And so to get that across that we are local, we grew up in different parts of town. We've seen the city grow up and we know it inside and out is a a huge benefit, I think, to some people that are looking from the GTA. And so we try to catch those people in the GTA before they make a decision to use their GTA realtor to help them find a house. You and I had, have a little bit of a similar background. We started on consumer goods. Or... I enjoyed that, especially for Kimberly Clark. They were a great company to work for. And I really enjoyed that. The training in both Nestle and Kimberly Clark that I had was great. It was interesting. You went from retail. That's, that's right. I started out in ad agencies when I finished school. I went to uh, college in, in Hamilton at Mohawk, and I was in a three-year program there with my last term as a co-op. And the co-op put me at an ad agency in Toronto. And so I started working there and the ad agency life was kind of fun in that you got to do a lot of stuff. You got free tickets to things and you had all, all these events. And as a young person, I loved it. It was a great life. But 
I worked a lot and got paid very little. It was actually picked up shortly after I left the ad agencies from one of our clients' chapters. And that sort of boosted me into a retail environment for a number of years. And then after that, picked up by Kimberly Clark. So it's sort of working these different levels in these different industries where one sort of picks up on another and uh, you transition to the next phase. Is there anything from your corporate background that's been more of a hindrance than a help? Oh, it's a good question. I don't think so. I mean, to be honest with you, the only thing I've really experienced have been positive things. One of the things I, I think was a hindrance in my corporate job that has actually been a major benefit is that, as you would probably know, we always talked about in business planning in the corporate world about how we always wanted to do the next thing. So we were always pushed to, hey, come up with your greatest, best, biggest new idea. That's the most creative thing you could ever come up with in the corporate world. And and you would come into your sales planning meeting and you'd have these amazing, brilliant ideas. And they'd say, wow, this is great. Unfortunately, we're going to have to go through a bunch of meetings in order to approve something like this because it's completely outside of the objectives of our company. I don't know if we're going to be able to get that done. And if you, unless you can do it for free, well, I don't know. We don't want to take the risk on something like that. It's too far outside the box. And I found the, in that perspective, the corporate world was a major hindrance for me because I had a mind that was always thinking of new ideas. And we always had a roadblock at that point in the corporate world. And so for me, it was a bit of a relief to come into a profession where I had the ability to do my own thing. And you know, you will fail. There have definitely been, since we've got into this, there have been some failures. What sort of things? Things like some of the marketing we did. We'd advertise in some places that we thought were going to be beneficial to us and sign up to agreements to advertise or to market in these places and realize this is a terrible investment. Like this is never going to work out. The message I'm delivering, it's just not working out for me, but you're tied into an agreement and you have to see through your agreement that you've tied into. Committing to, there was a period of time where I was writing a, a report. The data was going really well and people were really enjoying the insights and people were asking me for more and more and more. We agreed to do it, but I didn't realize how much time it would take. And so here I am agreeing to do this thing for a handful of people that have asked me for more information. And it's taking me 24 hours of straight work to get it done. And after a few months, I said, enough's enough. Like this is not appealing to the masses and it's taking up way too much time. But you realize from those things, like what can you do or you know, what wasn't working about this and how do I modify this? So I, I'm happy to be able to take those challenges or those new, new experiences in this job. And like I said, some will fail, but I think people also appreciate the fact that you tried. And there are people out there that some will say, man, I really miss that you did this. I'm glad you tried that. Or, you know, when you explained to them that it wasn't working and they said, well, good for you for trying it. You mentioned your student rentals cash flowing around 200 a month. That's kind yeah, that of was, been the traditional lowest yeah. point, isn't it? You, yeah. Anything below that, you're really a little bit risky, yeah. but anything above that, yeah. obviously gravy. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah. It's happening a lot just because you can't make money in most places. You can't make money month to month on the purchase price. Just the rents just aren't falling. We're off doing about things like additional dwelling units and, and second suite. They're encouraging a lot more uh, urban infill. For many years, was really resistant to any sort of high rises or even mid rises. And they realized that they had to start developing that. So there's been a couple of them downtown. As Guelph moves further towards the 401, there's more development in the southern part of Guelph. But they are also encouraging and being a little easier to deal with on uh, accessory apartments and additional dwelling units and even smaller places that are built on existing lots. Something right. similar to that, Guelph is expressing interest in doing those sorts of things. So they are trying their best. It's tough though, because on the, uh, on the south side of Guelph, there's basically all land from at the bottom part of Guelph to the 401, it's just all land in there. And so that naturally is sort of where the development is going to be, the north and the south and east side. Right. 
Are you building a team now? We are. Beth and I were pretty busy last year. And so we decided that it was time to get some extra help. We do have a a real estate coach who owns a brokerage in Ottawa that we deal with or talk to on on a weekly basis who sort of encouraged us to go down that route. And so we hired sort of a junior agent, a new agent, who was ironically our, our client. We sold him a house uh, a couple of years ago and, and he's been great. So the idea is to have him help us out where we can and sort of grow the business that way. But we would much rather grow the business smaller and be more profitable and just well-organized than try to grow a massive team just to gain market share at the expense of everything else. Working with a coach, was that something that you brought from your corporate career or was it something that you thought... No, I definitely need some help here. No, it was something that was that our broker actually paid for for us. For the first four, five months of last year, he he had a working relationship with this broker in Ottawa. Her name is Tracy Arnett. It's called Arnett Realty in Ottawa. We meet every week on Zoom and just have a chat about what's going on. Sometimes we talk business the whole time. Sometimes it wouldn't be about business. It would be about other things. And it's been rewarding for us because she's reminded us of things that maybe we knew, but we just weren't doing, or we didn't realize the impact that those things would have. And we decided it is something we, we do want to continue with. And she's been very valuable in teaching us a number of things about you know maintaining our existing database and ensuring that we don't forget about them, but also taking a look at new ways to grow your business and making sure you are focused on the right way of growing your business. As I said, you know, more profitably sustainable long-term versus just you know ego and gaining market share at all costs. Has it been helpful having somebody outside of your market kind of giving that third person? Because I can imagine... Yeah. working with your partner in life can sometimes be challenging because both of you are living, breathing yeah. this all oh, the yeah. time. Yeah. We go for lunch and talk about work at lunch. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, we talk about it a lot and it's nice to have somebody outside of the market. And especially, you know, if, if it was someone inside our own market, it would be difficult to uh, coach them inside our market because there would be some bias, but to have somebody completely removed and not really even knowing our market overly well, but just giving insights uh, based on their experience running a brokerage has been very beneficial. What are the plans going forward? Well, that's funny you ask because that's one of the things we talk to the coach about. Like, you know, what can we expect? We don't know what to expect. We just brought on a new team member. The market is more saturated than ever with realtors. Maybe the market will take a downturn, but even then, you know, realtors still can represent buyers and sellers. So, you know, the market conditions don't really impact a realtor all that much. So from our perspective, I mean, we now have brought on a new person on our team. We'd like to maybe bring on one more on our team and grow the business slow and steady You know, over the next two to three years. I think we're probably going to be maxed out at a couple of buyer agents, two or three, maybe four agents. But I think that's it. I mean, we're pretty satisfied with the way it's going now and we'll continue it. I think this space or slightly more. Some questions I like to ask uh, my guests. What's your favorite brand or personal brand and why? Well, it's funny you ask because I was thinking about this I, since last week. I've been thinking about what my favorite brand is, and I and I say sometimes just because I've been in marketing for a long time, try to I try not to like brands just because I feel like sometimes they're just not what I the brand I want. But I but I found myself last week driving to Starbucks, and on my way there, I realized that I was going to Starbucks to buy a coffee that was four dollars when I could have gone to another coffee shop around the corner and spent half that much. And I realized that they had done an amazing job of making the experience great in that I wanted to go to that place to buy it. And the marketing that that place potentially has better coffee than somewhere else. And it was just a very interesting thing for me to realize that in the moment while I was thinking about this, and I, and I think that was the reason why I think I picked Starbucks. They've done an amazing job of turning marketing, turning coffee into a marketing experience. Right. You're absolutely right. I use, um, 
Starbucks as an example, when I do branding workshops to try and get across the message of personal brand is I split the room up actually and give them the logos of three coffee stores. And Starbucks is one, Tim Hortons is another, and then I use coffee time. If anybody remembers coffee time in, in Canada, I asked him to come up with one word that best describes that brand, that the rest of the room can guess who it is. And 95% of the time when Starbucks comes up, people just say expensive. The whole room laughs and then says Starbucks. It's the experience. And, and then I, they leave there and go buy something in Starbucks. <laughs> right. And I, and I will drive past five Tim Hortons. And I, I'm, I'm in Hamilton where there's more Tim Hortons than anything. Yeah. I will drive past five Tim Hortons to go to Starbucks. Yeah. I only drink black coffee, but it's, <laughs> it's the way they make me feel. It's the experience. You're absolutely right. And they have done and it's a fantastic interesting. job. I don't even particularly love the coffee at Starbucks. I mean, I, it's okay, but I'm equally satisfied with going to Tim Hortons and getting a coffee there. It's just if I'm driving and I, you know, I can make a left to Tim Hortons and a right to Starbucks, somehow they've convinced me that I need to turn around and I just pull in there and buy a coffee there. I've heard the story from a real estate perspective that if a Starbucks comes into your neighborhood, you can basically add $10,000 to the price of your house straight away. Well, an interesting story about that is that when Beth and I bought our first house in Toronto, we lived on the west side. It was called Parkdale or Roncesville. And we lived there at a time when it was sort of early gentrification. And as it started to, uh, to turn over a little bit, one of the first things that moved into the neighborhood was a Starbucks. And, and we were thinking exactly that at the time. And I had read something. I don't know if I had invested in Starbucks at the time, but I had read something that says exactly what you said is if they move in, you know, there are big things to come in the neighborhood because they've done their homework. It's a, it's a little bit like uh, developers, isn't it? If, yeah. if the infrastructure is put in, then the developers move in, then you as a real estate investor should start looking in that neighborhood because that's yeah. oh, they've, absolutely. They've, they've spent the money on the all the market yeah. research, all the data collecting. Yeah. And they were yeah. probably, in that example in Toronto, they were probably three to five years ahead of the actual boom. Right. Excellent. But what about favorite business book or podcast? Yeah, I, ha- I have a favorite business book that I love. It's called Good to Great. I don't know if you know that one. Good to great. Yep. Jim Collins. Um, yep. Jim Collins. That's right. Yeah. And it actually, I, one of the reasons it was given to me in 2002-ish, I think, from the president at Nestle, they gave them out to the, the sales team at one time. And I really like that book for a number of reasons. I like Kimberly Clark was actually in that book. And they talked about just some of the things that made good leaders great. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think in many ways, I feel like I can relate to it, or those are the things that I'm trying to do, which is, you know, I don't know if you remember this book, but there's an example in it that talks about uh, Pitney Bowes versus Addressograph. They were competing companies in the early 70s. They both were sort of in postage meters or postage. And in the early 70s, Addressograph had this new CEO who was this flashy guy who thought he had all the answers. And he continually ignored what his staff was telling him about the brand and about the business and kind of took it on his own route. In the book, there's a chart that talks about what happened to address a graph after they did all those things, and it didn't work out very well for them. But on the other side, Pitney Bowes had a CEO who encouraged the staff and employees to give them feedback and talk to them and not be afraid to tell them what wasn't working and how they can improve their business. And it wasn't overnight. It was over time how they're going to grow their business by making strategic moves. And so Pitney Bowes obviously was the winner in that race. But you know, the, a lot of the philosophies in that book are, are things that I, I try to do day to day. Okay. And what about a new tool or resource that you're enjoying using at the moment? I thought long and hard about this. and It seems really sort of boring, but one thing we've really come to use and appreciate is DocuSign. You know DocuSign? 
makes total sense. <laughs> total sense during a pandemic. So we didn't, we used it the odd time, but we used to go meet with clients and get paperwork signed. But now you can take DocuSign and send it through your phone. You can be on the road and I can load files into it and send it off to my client. They can do it while they're out somewhere. And it has been a huge benefit. We've been able to use it a little bit more just during the pandemic and, and sort of figure out some of the tips and tricks, but it has been a huge lifesaver and I really appreciate it. And there are other brands. I mean, I'm not, it's not a pitch for DocuSign, even in real estate, AuthentiSign is one that comes standard with some of the programs we use, but those sort of electronic signature programs have become a huge asset and something I'm really enjoying. Do you have a favorite quote? I do. I wrote it down. It's a Steve Jobs quote. If you really look closely, most overnight successes took a long time. Would you say that's your kind of mindset as you're yeah, looking at your yeah, real estate business? Yeah. I, I think it's relevant to, to us in particular because I do have a bit of imposter syndrome is the right term to use, but we've only been in this business. This is our fourth full year and we are pretty marketing heavy. We do a lot, like I said, with the media in town. And some people kind of look around and say, like, who are these people that have just kind of come in here in the last number of years and have started doing all this stuff? Who do they think they are? But it's a long time coming. I mean, real estate may be new as an industry, relatively new to us, but the marketing and the sales behind it, you know, we've been working at for 20 years. It's not an overnight thing for us. It's the long game and it will continue to be. And of course, now we're just making different long game decisions about how we grow the business and where we grow the business and who we do it with. And so it's, I enjoy that aspect of it. Wonderful. And how can people find out more about you? How can they get hold of you? What's the best? Well, the best way, the best way we talk about it in all of our advertising is just to go to our website. It's at uh, bethandryan.ca. And we post a lot of blogs on there. Uh, we, we try to post something once a week about different topics that people have brought up to us that they're interested in, property tax, different types of housing, all sorts of things, different apps that people use, our realtors role these days, all of these sorts of things are things I think that people are interested in, general interest topics, and we enjoy writing and we get a lot of positive feedback. So that's on there as well as a little bit more about Beth and I and, and how to get in touch with us. It's an interesting decision that you went with the domain, your first names. That's very, that's very personal brand. I saw that on your website, actually, the two of you, the one that's running in the background. Well, you're yeah. both obviously getting ready to say something on camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of part of the outtake or something. So it is part of the outtake. Yeah. Yeah. It, nice. Ironically, nice. we have the next one coming after this. This morning, we're recording a new one. But yeah, that, we've started to take that on. We pushed our local news media. We've been writing these articles for a long time. And we pushed them to say, look, like it's there are other realtors doing it now. It's a bit saturated. We think we need to do something different. We need to let's go to video. And right. they were sort of uncomfortable. They had they didn't have a contract. They didn't know how to write a contract for it. But they agreed to try it. And so the first one, the video that you actually just mentioned, was the first one we ran just last month. And we had great results out of it. We had more subscribers to our newsletter. We had more people calling us. It was a refreshing, I think, for not only for Beth and I, but just to be doing something different than just writing an article every month. Hmm. Makes a ton of sense because then they get a sense of who you are or who that's you right. both are. That's right. And that's why we did it because nobody, we're sort of these people behind, we're on the radio as well. So we're these people with a voice on the radio and these people who write articles but nobody really knows what we even look like unless they go to our website, but it's trying to make it more relatable and it's more of that personal brand and you know, trying to do something unique in the market. Nice. Wonderful. It's been a pleasure, Ryan. Uh, really hey. enjoyed meeting you, chatting with you. Yeah, thanks, I'll, Paul. Uh, I'll, uh, thank you. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. And if you're wondering where your real estate investing brand currently stands and some steps to make it more brandtastic, you can download our free REI brand checklist at 
reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.